and welcome. My name is Temp. They call me Axial. And I'm Herfy Durfy. And this is Go Mode, a Link to the Past randomizer podcast. Uh, so I, I phrased that a little bit differently this time because as I was thinking about it, I normally say something like Go Mode, a Link to the Past randomizer podcast, which is sort of misleading because this is a podcast about a Link to the Past randomizer. So it really should be more like a Link to the Past randomizer podcast. But that is so many syllables in a row. What, what do you guys think? Mm, I'm okay with both. I think. Okay. I, yeah, I, I'm Tim. Whatever you want to say, I think is great. <laughs> <laughs> I try to just mix it up. I don't want it to be the same every single time because that's no fun for anybody. But these are just uh, examples of the sort of things that I think about instead of um, oh, I want to know like actually coming up with interesting things to say at the beginning of these episodes. So it's a little insight into into my brain, but. Uh, enough about that. We have a lot to talk about this time. Uh, I know there is a lot of buzz in our uh, own sort of listenership community um, with a, a select amount of people who are participating in our Go Mode podcast mentor tournament. We just wrapped up week one as of this recording, and uh, God, we've, we've been really busy uh, dealing with that, and uh, I think we all have kind of just a lot to just sort of talk about in general. So, so let's start there. Um, Axial, you know, you've, you've been involved, uh, with obviously, you know, admitting this tournament and yep. you and I even got a chance to commentate one of them. Uh, what we has been did. your overall impression so far? Well, I will say, I, I think reading through what everybody's been saying, all the participants and mentors seem to be having a great time and, uh, you know, anything else that happens is, is kind of gravy. As long as people enjoy themselves, then I feel like this is a successful tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Herf, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I can pretty much just say the same. I think it's uh, it's gone extremely well. Uh, everyone is super happy about it, it seems like, at least. Everyone is super involved. Even the mentors are saying that they're having a really good time and everything. And uh, I'm just glad people are enjoying it and that it's working so you know flawlessly as it is currently. We haven't had many hitches. We've had a couple of short you know oh crap what's happening right now moments but they've all been resolved with no problems really and uh, everything's going all right and i'm glad people are having fun yeah and uh you know just as before we started the tournament you know community helped us to uh build up a lot of the infrastructure of how things are going to work and you know what happens if this or that that's continued throughout the tournament too and uh you know, sometimes we've had to make decisions that have been tough where it's like, you know, we could go this way or that way. And there are legitimate reasons for both. But um, just going kind of going back to what our sort of mission statement of this whole thing, it seems so ridiculous to say we have a freaking mission statement for this. But, <laughs> you know, just like the idea of it was, um, you know, as a podcast, we like to try to teach people about this game. So we like the idea of teaching. And in terms of the mentors teaching the newer players, pretty much without exception, the feedback from everybody's first race has been some variation of I learned a bunch. And, and I think that's that to me, like we're, we're doing something right. If, if all of our decisions are made based on that and that's kind of everyone's feedback, I can, I can feel good about that for sure. So mm-hmm. um, we, uh, as, as you heard from our last episode, we promoted the fact that Axe and I were going to be commentating the opening match of week one. And uh, we did do that. And I'm pleased to announce that, um, thanks to the help of uh, one of our racers, actually, uh, Elias. Um, shout out to you, Elias. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, Axe and I recorded our audio, 
And then Elias went and found the VODs of each runner and uh, even did some tracking and put that all together into an overlay. And we were able to upload that to a brand new Go Mode podcast YouTube uh, channel. So we'll link that in the in the description if you want to uh, kind of get a sense of what it was like to be there for the first tournament with uh, Axe and I, um, you know, jabbering on uh, over the over the video. Um, that was a really great match. Shout out to both the runners uh, that that participated that night and their mentors. Um, you can find all that info in the description of that video. Um, just a couple things about it. Uh, we were watching a sort of multi-twitch, you know, just kind of both twitches at the same time. So the timing's not exactly synced. And then when Elias, you know, had to put this all together, of course, it's not going to be perfectly synced that way. So you might hear one of us say something before a chest is opened and, you know, things like that. Just kind of keep that in mind. And then we also weren't able to capture the audio of the racers and mentors during their interviews at the very end. So it's sort of a very one-sided conversation. You can only hear Axe and I, but... Um, if you're interested in checking that out, definitely would recommend it. We hope to upload some more videos to that channel in the future. But, um, and I, I think that, uh, that video is really indicative of kind of how all the races have gone. They've all been, uh, very entertaining to watch. And, uh, we've had a lot of people come by to, uh, spectate as well, which I've been very, very pleased with. Yeah. One of the things I, I find really cool is there's been a lot of community practice matches. Um, yeah. Just, you know, people are, are chatting and they say, hey, you know, uh, anybody else want to run practice? I'm going to do a practice run. Anybody else feel free to join. I'm making the, the SRL room. And I think that's really neat and uh, the kind of thing we want to encourage people to do. Yeah, I think it's awesome because really one of our goals was to get people over that first initial hump of, oh man, how does racing work? What's SRL? How does SRL work? How do I even do all this crazy stuff that I have to do? And now, you know, now people are just going, hey, I feel like having a little practice race. You know, I feel like joining. I've already got the SRL room up. Everyone's all set up and everyone knows what's going on. And it's really cool to see how easy and quick it was for people to get all used to all that stuff. Yeah, and uh, that's that's true. And that's not even something I thought we would be doing, but I'm really pleased that we have is sort of like helping people figure out how to get set up on SRL and how to uh, you know use IRC and stream using OBS. Because as I've talked about in past episodes, getting ready for the fall tournament, uh, that was a big hurdle for me. And I, I'm, I don't think I'm like dumb or anything, but it... It's, it's a lot to deal with, and even intelligent people can get tripped up by stuff like that. So I think just having an excuse to run through it and knowing you're in a safe environment where people aren't going to judge you if you ask a stupid question has been really cool to be able to provide to all of the racers. And uh, it's another huge shout-out to, specifically, I want to say our mentors, um, and it, even more so our volunteers, both to those groups, for doing a lot of really selfless work in this tournament. Um, you know, the racers are racing, which is fun. It's competitive. The mentors, they don't have as much of a sort of stock, you know, from race to race in, in it, uh, other than just they're there because they enjoy talking about Rando and helping new players. Uh, and the volunteers even more so because they don't even necessarily get to participate in the matches. They're just kind of doing all the behind the scenes to match mentors up with uh, racers, ping mentors at the last minute to see if we can get people involved. So, so huge shout outs to both mentors and volunteers for their help with this tournament. Yeah, I'll say without our volunteers, I don't know if things would have gone as well for the first week because there were a couple of times where, uh, you know, Herf was asleep, Timp was at work, I was at work, and we had a a match going, and uh, our volunteers were able to step in and uh, and really get our uh, our bacon out of the the fire. So um, 
big shout outs to them. I don't know. Tip, do we want to mention them by name? Yeah, or? yeah. I mean, Dante and Sinak have, have both been huge helps uh, in, in that regard, as Axe was talking about. Um, we've had other volunteers step up in, in other ways, and, and mentors have also uh, stepped up in some of those kind of volunteer roles, especially when it comes to teaching new racers how to set up their stream. We had a lot of mentors walking their racers through that. Um, yeah, so so those two I know specifically. We also have uh, Kern, who's you know famous for his Kern questions the Kern, in the Kern <laughs> corner that he sends in. So um, he, uh, shout outs to him for, for helping out as well, and also Ninban. Um, and we've had a few others uh, sort of here and there help out. So, yeah, really appreciate all of that help. And, again, just can't thank the mentors enough for their selfless uh, volunteer time. So. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, I want to really uh, quickly butt in here with uh, something that's important to me personally. Of course, also a big shout out to all the volunteers, mentors, even the racers, you know, everyone who's helped out and uh, helped form and shape this event and make this amazing. But... Uh, when when we first had this idea of a go mode tournament kind of thing, something we organized and everything, I said to my dear co-hosts, uh, I think it's a great idea. I think uh, that's an awesome thing. But uh, I'm usually pretty busy with main tournament stuff. Uh, currently, work is also kicking my butt a lot, which has nothing to do with Rando, unfortunately. But I've I've said from the beginning I'll be pretty hands off, and I have to admit I have been pretty hands off. I've uh, I've kept a watchful eye over everything. I've I've looked at the channels. If if stuff goes completely wrong, I'll I'll be there to help out, like I did today for like thirty seconds. But uh, what my point is, uh, I want to give a personal big shout out to my two co-hosts, Tim and Axial, for doing an amazing job handling this tournament. Really, like ninety nine point nine percent by themselves. I barely do anything. And they're doing a great job. They're making sure everything works. They're posting announcements. They're assigning mentors. They're scheduling matches. They're doing everything that needs to be done. And, you know, it's the first time for both of them being a tournament admin. And I think they're doing an excellent job. So, along with everyone else, big shout-outs to those two guys. Oh, well, thank you, Herf. That's really kind. And I... I don't want our listeners to think that Herf has done nothing because I want to say this format that we have, that was entirely Herf's idea. Right. And it seems like everybody <laughs> really, really likes it. So, Herf, you, you get a lot of credit too. All right. I'll, yeah, I'll and... take the credit for that. that that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, that was the agreement all along, and that's kind of what we went with. I was thinking we would do this while I was on my honeymoon, and I would be a little hands off, but I have do- I've dove straight into it, and, and I'm. I'm admitting quite a bit these days so uh, i do enjoy it um again i just want to make sure everything goes great and that that's why i do it but um you were instrumental in helping us you know put this all together and you know like you said stepping in uh, at the last minute sometimes when we need you the most like that's that's super helpful so um it's just love all around here everybody it's, it's, everybody's having doing a good great. time <laughs> yeah so cool any final thoughts about a go mode podcast tournament before we move on um, um well hmm you go ahead, Axe. Well, I want to say, you know, for our listeners out there, round two has started. Um, you know, we're recording this on uh, the 16th of June, and, uh, you know, this episode will drop on the 19th. So by then there will have been, I believe, four matches that are have occurred, so about a quarter of the, the round two matches. But, um, you know, these are elimination matches, uh, for half of our runners and promotion matches for the other half. So, uh, you know, while the first round was uh, was interesting and, you know, you obviously want to win 
but uh, these are, are big matches, and uh, we really hope to get a lot of people watching, uh, especially, and maybe this is my bias, but the elimination matches, I really hope we get some good viewership and some encouragement for the runners in those, because mm-hmm. I imagine it's pretty nerve-wracking, and uh, I hope, you know, unfortunately we're going to have, you know, a quarter of the field <clears throat> eliminated after this week. Um so I just hope that the people who do get eliminated, you know, as long as you were out there and you tried your best and you played your hardest, you have nothing to be kind of a, ashamed about or beat yourself up about. Um, you know, we made all these groups so that we figured they were about, each matchup was about 50-50. So just because you are out after two rounds does not mean you, you suck at rando or you should never do a tournament again or anything like that. That's very true. And that's something we've sort of glossed over that I think is worth mentioning. With this format that we have, it's great because it gives every single person at least two matches. But when it comes to determining like who's the best at the end or whatever, the reality is we're going to have the top two players. But then, you know, in theory, the third and fourth best players, they just got eliminated from the first group, you know? So don't take it personally if you're eliminated because there is still, you know, a lot of group other groups that if you were matched up, things could have gone very differently. So it's just kind of one of the unfortunate things about our tournament. Uh, but again, going back to that mission, you know, we wanted to make sure everyone got at least two and not ask too many, you know, uh, you know, uh, too much of each racer to have to schedule too many races each week. So this is kind of where it landed. And yeah, it's definitely worth worth making sure we clarified. Yeah. And some of these some of these groups are very close, like the. I know it I definitely look at I think the ones I had the most trouble sorting out because I was the one that sorted the groups out. I think it was like Master Sword, Blue Mail, and Power Glove. The uh, twelve people we have in those groups really could have landed in any of those three. Uh, I really had to think and uh, and put those people in. So if you are in one of those three groups and again you get eliminated, um, just know that you could have uh, you know all of you were kind of equally graded so um you're you're all great and uh <laughs> you shouldn't uh you shouldn't take your tournament performance as a negative and, and use it as something to um you know find uh find things you feel good about and keep on playing rando mm-hmm. yeah yeah cool I'm, okay essentially Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just basically want to say good luck to everyone in week two because uh, the next time we get a chance to talk about this in two weeks uh, we'll have some people eliminated already, as you mentioned, both of you. And uh, just good luck to everyone. And even if you get eliminated in the second week, don't feel bad about it, as my co-host said. Uh, I hope you learned something from it and you took something away. And even if you're not playing in the tournament anymore, that doesn't mean you can't play with all the friends and go mode buddies that you made during the tournament anymore. So, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I hope you had a good time. And yeah. Last but not least, a uh, tiny little bit of insider information from good old Herf. Uh, by the time you're listening to this episode on the 19th, uh, good old Herf is turning 38. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah. What are thanks. we going to do for your birthday, Herf? What I do you guess want? It's, it's still four days, three days away for us, but, you know, it's not for you when you're listening to this. <laughs> yeah. So what do you want for your birthday? Uh, less percentages. <laughs> oh no that's the worst thing you could ask uh, right, for in the go mode podcast Discord. maybe for this episode this will be the percentage free episode now i say that knowing that of course the second half of this episode we actually already recorded 
So, uh, oh, we definitely throw yeah. out some <laughs> percentages. Yeah, yeah, I think Sorry. that might have influenced my decision a little bit. I, I'm not very good at coming up with good stuff on the spot, so maybe I'll get back to you in the next episode. Yeah, that sounds good. Let us let us know. But uh, happy birthday to you! Thanks for thanks for thank you, thank you. Yeah. All right. So one more quick thing that we wanted to be sure to mention: we have SGDQ 2019 on the horizon, uh, coming up in a. Uh, as you're listening to this, it'll be uh, in a few days on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, this beginning of SGDQ 2019, and as was the case with AGDQ 2019, we have quite a few rando events that are going to be going on amongst the uh, community that are present at uh, SGDQ. So um, uh, pleased to announce that Phileon, um, who was doing a little bit of corresponding for us uh, previously for AGDQ, has agreed to uh, kind of document some of what goes on there and report back to us. So hopefully in the next episode, or maybe the one after that, kind of depending on how things shake out, we'll be able to tell you how some of these things went. But here's what's currently planned. On Saturday, June 29th, which is near the end of the event, uh, at 5 p.m. Eastern, we have a uh, SMZ3R race between Andy and Ivan. That should definitely be good. Andy, of course, an incredible rando player. Ivan, one of the best uh, Super Metroid speedrunners that there is. Uh, so this should be – this is basically like for SCDQ on a Saturday night at 5, that's as close to like prime time as you can get. That's going to be probably over 100,000 live viewers uh, at that event. And probably sure to bring in, you know, a lot of new people to the community, which we, we definitely welcome with open arms. So uh, be sure to check that one out. It's sure to be talked about. Um, and, of course, if you can't watch it live, you can always uh, go to the Games Done Quick YouTube and find a VOD. So definitely recommend checking that out. But in terms of community things, um, there is going to be another 2v2 in-person tournament, uh, kind of like the one that there was at AGDQ. Um, so we will link, uh, there's actually a, a challenge they put together with the bracket. We'll go ahead and link that in the description in case you're curious of seeing kind of how that shakes out. Um, we had some other things going on. Uh, another shout out to Sinac, um, as we mentioned, uh, GoMo uh, podcast, Metro tournament volunteer, uh, mentioned a few other things that are going to be going on there. Uh, he'll be attending as well. So let me just pull that up real quick and see what he said. Okay. So. There's that 2VD tor- 2v2 tournament on Tuesday night. Oh, this is awesome. I, I remember this. Uh, they're going to be playing Keep Talking and Nobody Last Locations. It is a Crystal's Gold Cross Keys where teams of three race each other. One person on the team plays, one person has the item spoiler, and another person has the entrance spoiler. So these two people are guiding the racer through the seat as quickly as possible by describing to them where all the items they need are and where the entrances go. Which uh, I just want to stop for a moment and, and talk about this because I think that is hilarious and I cannot wait to uh, hear how that goes. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Uh, yeah. I can imagine that being really confusing because in a normal random, having a list of the item spoilers will be extremely helpful. It's arbitrary, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, with the cross keys involved, uh, it's is it cross keys or cross world? I think it's... Uh, uh, crystals gold cross keys okay it's cross right. keys so that makes yeah. it even worse you've got yep. entrances that go all over the place from the dark world to the light world to wherever it wants to go and you have your keys spread all over the place so just the item spoiler and the entrance spoiler together isn't even all that helpful because you kind of have to form some kind of spoiler voltron <laughs> and you know combine both of the informations together to make a decent route through all that crazy stuff 
you have to imagine there has to be a lot of communication between the item and the entrance people, mm-hmm. like just to themselves without the racer even listening to them, you know, yeah. just to like figure that out first and then uh-huh. give them some useful info. Exactly. I feel like there needs to be like a 30 minute period where those two people just sit down with their spoilers and like compare and make up a route for the person actually playing to go. Yeah, I wonder how much time they have to prepare. I kind of assumed it would be like, ready, set, go. I assume that's how it's going to go, but that's just going to be chaos. <laughs> I yeah. think that's, that's the more funny one where they, mm-hmm. they just immediately get it. They're like, uh, well, okay, the boat is, oh, God, okay, so it's in Turtle Rock, but to actually get there, you need to, go, oh, my God. Yeah, you're not yeah. getting the bow until the end, so just, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, have fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so very excited to hear how that goes. Uh, by the way, keep talking and nobody explodes is, is kind of what this is based on. That's a VR game where uh, in VR, one person is trying to disarm a bomb and a co-op player has instructions on how to disarm the bomb, but they can't see anything. So they have to describe to the person how to like, you know, disarm this VR bomb. So this is sort of a you know similar idea kind of comparing those, but very, very excited to see how that goes. Um, definitely looking forward to the report on that. And there's actually one more thing going on. On Thursday night, they're trying to do a, a very large multi-world. Uh, we've talked a little bit about multi-world before. Herf explained to us kind of what that is. Um, essentially just a bunch of people playing at once with their items kind of mixed all around each other's games. Uh, they're trying to get as many people together as they can, but it's just kind of kind of depend on the equipment that they have. You know, it's, it takes a lot. You know, pretty much everyone has to have their own rig, and then they got to be able to connect them. So uh, that is also happening, but uh, again, we'll we'll get some coverage of that, uh, thankfully, and be able to tell you about that after the event is over. Uh, final thing Synex says is if you are planning on going to SGDQ 2019 and you're listening to this, there is a Discord that you can join where they're communicating about this sort of stuff, and I would assume talking about that 2v2 tournament leading up to the event. So we will link that Discord in the description of this episode, and uh, check that out if you plan on going. All right, so now uh, we can go ahead and set up this interview. Very excited to announce, as you've seen from the title of this episode, we had uh, our good friend Blaine on to talk a little bit about the NMG speed run. Yeah, Blaine. Uh, yeah, and we mm-hmm. recorded that yesterday, and I realized after we were done, we we kind of failed to explain like what is the NMG speed run and, and like kind of give that basic primer. So I wanted to take a moment to describe like why do we keep saying NMG speed run instead of just speed run? Does one of you guys want to tackle that? Sure. So um, for speedrunning, for those who are not sort of into the history of the hobby and, you know, don't watch Summoning Salt videos that go through a lot of the, like, history of speedruns of some games, um, you know, most speedrun categories are pretty arbitrary. Uh, usually you'll have, like, an any percent category and a 100% category. Um, any is just beat the game as fast as you can, no restrictions, does yep. not matter, just, like, get to the end. Uh, and 100 is, like, do everything before you beat it. Yes, that's that's most games. There are some games, however, where those categories are sort of degenerate and not very interesting, and Link to the Past is one of those. Because if you have an any percent Link to the Past speed run, and Herf and Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's something like three or four minutes because you just go out of bounds and basically walk to the Triforce room. Yeah, so pretty much. It's not very interesting. So when the community kind of realized that uh, this is not that interesting to watch, they came up with a category that they called No Major Glitches, or NMG. And what this effectively does is ban the glitches that allow you to very easily complete the game, and instead 
you generally still have to play through the game. This is kind of like if people know your Super Mario 64 speedruns, um, this is more like a like a 70 star run than the like low star runs that uh, would be more comparable to the any percent Link to the Past run. Yeah. Basically, A Link to the Past is a fun game that we all like to play. And I just looked up the Any% percent record, and it's 1 minute and 31 seconds. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't give you an opportunity to play A Link to the Past, and a lot of people wanted to do that. So the one that, the you know, particular speedrun that has dominated the competition and, and what everyone sort of follows is this no major glitches, which, you know, by not doing these glitches that basically just warp you to the end screen, force you to play the game through the way it was intended, and that's that's why we kind of follow that one. Yeah, NMG basically serves as the any percent category for Link to the Past. No one, I mean, people do try to go and do the true any percent, but most of the activity is focused around no major glitches, uh, with the second most popular probably being, you know, either 100% or other challenges like Master Sword um, that are a little shorter. Yeah, and there's a ton of categories because, again, people like to just play this game as many ways as possible. Um, but, yeah, NMG is sort of the speed run. So as we keep saying NMG in this interview, just imagine we're saying just kind of the normal link to the past speed run and the tactics used for that. So just wanted to clarify that. Can you guys think of anything else we might need to say uh, to set this up? So just to point out, I think we say this during the interview, but to point out right now, uh, so Blaine is not just some you know random person who right. likes us. Blaine is currently, I believe, tied for eighth in the world mm-hmm. for NMG mm-hmm. times, and uh, I believe didn't Blaine win the um, that in per- the not the tournament that was uh, going to be in person last year, and then they changed up the summer one. The I summer don't think one. he won, but he was uh, one of the eight finalists, which yes. was you know to even get to that point was was huge uh, extremely accomplished uh rando and nmg player mm-hmm. so cool okay well i think that i think that sets it up uh do you guys remember how we get into interviews it's been a while it's been a while yeah i, well, I don't to be honest we we gotta we gotta pick this rock up and then uh we jump into the warp portal right here Ooh. okay all, all right. right go Sweet, into the interview go. world off we go All right, folks, I am very excited to introduce our guest today. We wanted to talk about the No Major Glitches speed run and the effect that can have on your rando playing. So uh, the three of us uh, co-hosts, we're, our NMG knowledge is maybe not as strong as it needs to be. So, so we had to bring somebody in to uh, answer some of our questions, give us a hand with that. And for that, we have turned to our friend uh, in the Link to the Past Randomizer community, Blaine. Blaine, how are you doing today? Hey, everybody. I'm doing pretty well. All right. So the what we're going to do here, uh, it just, you know, I, I kind of prepped these guys just now, but um, I have some questions about the No Major Glitches speed run. Uh, and then Herf is going to ask some questions about the No Major Glitches speed run. And we're going to be trying to get to the bottom of this question that we have. Uh, uh, is learning the No Major Glitches speed run of a Legend of Zelda Link to the Past helpful in making you a better randomizer player? Uh, and then Axe is going to take uh, take over and then ask some questions. Then we'll kind of go into a, a more general conversation. But before we do that, we want to get to know Wayne just a little bit better. So, uh, Wayne, you know, if someone drops into your stream, I, I think it's pretty clear that you've been you've been streaming for a while and playing for a while. It's a very professional looking stream. Can you tell us kind of how you got into uh, streaming? Uh, sure. 
first off, let me say thanks for being here. Uh, oh, well, thanks thank for having you for me. Thanks for having me here, but thanks for being here also. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got, I'm, I'm not a streamer. I'm not a streamer. I'm not a speaker. I got into Link to the Past Randomizer, and that's pretty much the only thing that I really have ever done, like, on Twitch or anything like that. So I don't consider myself really a, a professional streamer. I threw together an overlay after a couple months, but I really just fell in love with, uh, boy, I don't know, I guess it was almost two years ago now, maybe a little more than two years ago. Uh, when I first stumbled across Link to the Past Randomizer and being, you know, into video games and being pretty competitive, I picked it up and, and, and it's been uh, it's been a fun ride. You know, the, the first time I think you ever stream and have somebody pop into your channel and watch for a few minutes, you're like, I can't believe, why, why would anybody watch me doing yeah. this? But uh, it's, it's perfect for Link to the Past Randomizer because you have to stream anyway if you're going to race or anything like that. So it's not like you're setting out on some quest to become the next big streamer. You're just kind of, you're online because you need to be. It's the rules of racing. And, and if that leads into, hey, you get a couple people watching or meet people through Twitch, then it's just kind of natural like that. So it, it's, it's, it's been, uh, I'm kind of a one-trick pony, you know. I'm not, I'm not streaming much else besides Link to the Past, but that that's kind of how it started just accidentally hey i, I want to take part in this community oh i need to stream to do that well okay i guess uh i guess i'll try my hand at streaming then wow i have to say i'm really surprised to hear that because uh like i said you know when you go by the stream it's very well put together you're very personable you've got the face cam you know so i i just kind of assumed upon seeing all that that you know streaming was something you've been done for a while and then kind of gravitated towards rando but you're kind of saying the opposite you started with rando and then got into streaming that way yeah i mean i was pretty familiar with twitch um yeah. you know ever since it's kind of taken off i guess uh on the internet <laughs> uh, so i watch plenty of you know uh, back in the day starcraft 2 tournaments and starcraft 2 streamers and things like that uh nowadays you know you got all the uh, fortnite and and other super popular games but so I, I just, <laughs> hey, I, I'm, I'm not gonna judge either way Mm -hmm. I, I didn't get a yay out of you with StarCraft 2, I noticed, Herfie. So. I was about uh, yeah, was... to, but then you quickly switched over to Fortnite, and I feel like proving my dislike for Fortnite is more important than proving my love for StarCraft 2. you, you got to stay on brand. I, mm -hmm. I respect yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I was wondering about that, too. That's funny. Yeah. So speaking of games, uh, how is it that you found out about A Link to the Past Randomizer and kind of got into that first? Uh, well, it's funny because I stumbled over Zelda 1 Randomizer first. Um, oh. they, were, they were probably doing a... I, I, I guess it was probably spring of 2017, and I don't remember how I stumbled across it, but they were probably doing a tournament, and it was probably on speed gaming or something like that. And I said, well, Zelda 1 is one of my favorite games ever. And they have found a way to make it a new game every time I play. This is amazing. I watched that for about a week. Um, I think I bookmarked all the speed gaming channels that existed back then. And then a week later, they happened to also be showing probably the 2017 Spring Link to the Past randomizer tournament. And if you have even a little bit of familiarity with Link to the Past, the first time you watch a randomizer of it you can't help but notice how almost perfectly designed the game is to be randomized so yeah. you, yeah, you don't have it doesn't have yeah. to be your favorite game but you you know if you just have a little bit of knowledge even if you don't have that much knowledge you still kind of it you watch other randomizers and sometimes it's a little more forced than it is the very natural link to the past meshing um so as soon as i saw that 
you know, Link to the Past is also a, a game I had familiarity with, and it just it worked so well that I couldn't not be drawn into watching the rest of that tournament and then trying my hand at, at racing. Like I said, I'm kind of a competitive person, so the fact that, you know, people are getting here to, and competing in this seems really cool, probability-based. Let's try my hand at it. So probably started running seeds myself that summer and I think probably racing maybe the fall after that, and it's, you know, just kind of been one ride since then. Yeah. So to kind of ease our way into, you know, how you got into NMG, let's ask sort of a random centric question first. What what was it that you did that kind of made you get to that sort of next level with randomizer? Was it was it a lot of practice? Was it a lot of, you know, watching? You know, what, what kind of got you to that next level? What's great, I think, about randomizer is even when you are not very good, um, your enthusiasm kind of can just kind of power you. So there's this cool down period after you play through a seed where you've got the credits and you're trying to go through, okay, what, like a post-game analysis almost, what did I do that was right? What did I do that was wrong? Sometimes, you know, if you're streaming and somebody's watching, you kind of maybe go back and forth with somebody who said, you know, hey, maybe I would have done this, maybe I would have done that. Um, so there's a great period kind of built in that's kind of just self-reflection. Did, did I do... You know, where can I improve next time, or, or what did I, what what plays did I make that were right, but hey, just didn't work out this time. Things like that. Um, so there's this natural if you if you're interested in it, and you're enthusiastic if you're enthusiastic about it, you have a very, I, I, it's very easy to just kind of get deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, yeah. So being competitive, uh, you always kind of are on the lookout for what can I improve at. And so for a long time, you're just trying to fix your route. You know, was this a bad decision? A lot of niche situations, too, that come up. You know, you might never see it for 50 more seeds, but if you've seen it a couple times, hey, you can think back, you know, you know, like two months ago I was playing a seed and the same kind of situation happened. So there's a lot of uh, simulating a lot of data and, and trying to kind of just put yourself in a good situation for the next one and the next one and the next one. So just getting better and better, I you know, naturally through gameplay and just, you know, logging hours, um it does eventually reach a point where you're looking for other things that could help, like maybe, hey, people speed run this game that's not randomized. Is there is there value? You know, what's what's the deal with that? So I think there's a natural curiosity that leads anybody who gets serious about just the randomizer to at least think about uh, and maybe make a pit stop over in vanilla Link to the Past land. Yeah, and that is, I could not have given you a more perfect segue to, to start talking about <laughs> NMG. So thank you. That was perfect. Mm. Um, so, and you, you kind of just touched on this a little bit, but what was that what it, you know, what kind of inspired you to get started with learning the NMG route yourself was just uh, a love of the game and, and knowledge for it? Was it to try to get better at Rando or was it just because something to do? It is, uh, it was certainly a competitive thing. Um, back when I was starting a lot of my racing of the randomizer, so fall, let's say, 2017, there's some really big names in the community, um, in the Link of the Past community and in the randomizer community at that time, that were doing a lot of races. So you could just, I could join a race at, at 1 o'clock on a random weekday, and, you know, Andy would be in there, and TGH would be there, and it's just like giants of, of the Link to the Past world just randomly racing against them and so like I mentioned before you have that that post-game analysis breakdown you, you say okay I could have done this I could have done that I should have done this maybe I didn't need to do this when you look at the times 
that some of these really good players are putting up, you have the natural, oh, how do I save 13 minutes in this seed? I don't get it. And eventually, either you just kind of realize or somebody points out to you, you know, this the person you're running against is really good at the game. They might be just saving 12 minutes by being better than you at the game. You might have taken the exact same route. They might have done more than you did. Um, so that, whenever that realization happens, I think people will naturally, if they want to, you know, remain competitive or, or get better or continue to improve, you know, fight against those players that are at the top, um, okay. th there is that, well, okay, I need to benchmark myself. How much time are these really good players actually saving just by being really good at the game? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and ask you outright, just right from the, from the top here, do you feel like learning the NMG run has made you better at randomizer? Uh, without a doubt. Now, there right. is an asterisk I would put on that. Um, okay. I, there is certainly a point where I think the returns do begin to diminish if you frame them in a, in a randomizer performance um, perspective. But for, okay. a, for a good portion of, you know, let, let's call it your improvement at of NMG. You're going to run any percent NMG. Your first run is probably going to be close to 140. And if you get a really, really good time and really, really put a lot of time, you can get that down to 125. I would say the first half of that improvement is probably a one-to-one. -one. You know, you take a minute off your NMG time, it's going to take a minute off your average rando time. And after a certain point, probably doesn't have that, that sort of effect. You're probably talking about maybe seconds saved in rando per minute saved in, in any percent or something like that. But, but there's so much movement. It's really a matter of just being an efficient uh, delivery mechanism. Rando is very good at delivering feedback based on routes you chose or routes you didn't choose. You know, macro time swings. I went into this dungeon and it was wrong. Uh, I double dipped this dungeon and it was wrong. Big, big fat time losses or, or time saves if you make the right call. Um, it's not very good at delivering the, the micro, the, the small mistakes, the things that are going to add up, the 30 frames per screen, and I think that's what people can find and improve and understand better by running uh, something like NMG. We sometimes uh, kind of classify that as like execution versus routing, right? Definitely. So, so you're kind of saying, you know, for execution and learning that NMG is a great way to just kind of, you know, practice repetitively some of those things. Of course, it's not going to be able to help you with routing because there is no routing. It's vanilla. It's going to be the same every single time. Yeah, and, and execution can come in a couple different flavors too. I mean, anybody who dies to Trinex in Rando says, wow, that, that was bad execution and it cost me three minutes. But there, there is very subtle um, micro-execution that is not it's going to count the same you know if you lose 10 frames here in nmg and you lose 10 frames in rando that's 10 frames it's still equitable it's just really hard to notice or care when you're doing rando like oh you know this enemy hit me but i have 16 and a half hearts and red mail and all i really care about is am i am i about to find my go mode item so it's just kind of noticing you know, that stuff is not going to drive me crazy when I play rando, but if I'm playing NMG and I'm having a good pod and, you know, I, I bonk, I'm going to get really mad. It might only be 70 frames that I'm losing because of that bonk, but it's the, the, it's just kind of the delivery mechanism. It's, it's easier for it to sink in that, hey, this is important too. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I've got a couple more questions, and then I'm, I'm going to turn it over to her. Because <laughs> honestly, I'm feeling pretty good about my stance right now. Like, I, I just have one thing I want to clarify. And, and yeah. Wayne, I know you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, with a good amount of practice, you can get down to 125. And I was looking at the leaderboards, and just to clarify for our, our listeners, uh, that, you know, if you can get to 125 in NMG, you would be in the top 20 in the world in terms of submitted times. So, you know, that's uh, I think that says a lot about how, you know, really, really optimized things start getting because uh, if you look again, the top time right now is 123.10 and that's by Zelma. And, uh, you know, to get two minutes off once you're already down below 125 is a, it's a lot of optimization. Okay. Now we, we were going to have to do this at some point, so we might as well do it now. We're going to have to make some clarifications, right? Because we, we've sort of got two leaderboards for Zelda. Anyone who's Googled this has probably run into this issue. So it might be something that's really obvious to, you know, Wayne and Herf, uh, but maybe not so much to myself and, and Axe and some others out there. What is the deal with the fact that we've got two leaderboards for this game? Because we've got one on speedrun.com and we've got one on zeldraspeedruns.com. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I think that could probably fill a whole episode by itself, <laughs> at least. I was going to say, you might need another podcast episode to cover, oh, to cover leaderboard drama and things like that. Yeah. Uh, speedruns.com is a repository for any submitted runs that, um, you know, if I, if I PB tomorrow, I would go and submit my time to speedruns.com. At some point in the past, there has been some drama over whether they should just be a community-driven, like, hey, somebody got this time, we're going to add it to the leaderboard, or if it needs to be submitted by that person. Um, so what speedruns.com is, is you have to go on there yourself and submit your own run. And for whatever reason, reasons that I don't know and we're probably not going to want to get into here, not everybody wants to put the, the run up on there. Um, so actually, you just uh, we just talked about the world record run. There is actually a faster run than Zelna's 123.10. There's a 123.09 by WQ for reasons that uh, nobody really wants to get into. It's not on that leaderboard. I think some people do want to have a community-driven leaderboard that just displays everything, so that's why there might be some multiple leaderboards popping up. Uh, it is frustrating, I think, for the Link to the Past community to not have, you know, any speedrun community wants to have one repository, one um, you know, legit source yeah. of all of the times, but um, you know, I'm I'm not involved in running either of them. I know there have been there are good reasons I think on on both sides for why there might be kind of some split leaderboards, but uh, there there's not much that uh, anybody really can do without wanting to deal with. You can't keep everybody happy, I guess is is the point there. Yeah. So. Um, well, I am wildly curious about that, but <laughs> I do want to stay within the scope of this episode. So, yeah, you're right. Maybe maybe in a future episode of the podcast. Or, anyway, to get a little bit more back on track, talking about times, um, I did want to man mention Wayne's time. And speaking of the uh, episode description, we'll definitely put a link of your uh, PB run um, in there. Uh, you have a one hour, 24 minute and 44 second time, um, which according to the speedrun.com leaderboard is uh, tied for eighth. Uh, in the world, which is really incredible for a game that's been out since 1991. Um, now, you mentioned that it has uh, been very helpful to playing Rando for you to learn this NMG speedrun. Is there anything maybe in particular, like certain tricks or anything like that, that you would say it's been really helpful to have got that practice in NMG? Um, for sure. Uh, there are things that stand out, specifically boss fights. Uh, there are mm. some boss fights that when you're doing 
the any percent NMG route, you're not going to really find those boss fights in Rando. Like you're you're maybe one in a hundred seeds you have to fight Landmolus with the bow and arrow in Randomizer. So there's some things that don't really apply, and then there's other things that really apply very nicely. Cold Stare, um, you know, Vitreous, Argus, Trinex. You don't want to be losing lots of time, and it's very easy to lose lots of time on boss fights in Rando. So having a consistent strategy that for the most part, you're never going to be sure of your loadout in Rando. You know, that's very true. But for the most part, you have a consistent idea of how to attack a boss and how to not lose tons of time and specifically how to not die. So, um, you know, those big time losses you can avoid with a lot of familiarity with um, boss fights just because your your run is very fragile in NMG. You've got green mail the whole way and um, a lot of times, especially later bosses, can kill you with just one or two mistakes very, very easily and that's the end of your run. So mm-hmm. it's a focus when you're learning to get good at boss fights. So that's the first thing that's going to really, really improve. You're going to be able to just be very comfortable, especially in Randomizer, where typically you're very safe. You get a lot of hearts. You get mail upgrades. Um, you, you're typically very, very comfortable when you're playing Randomizer seeds and doing boss fights, and, and you'll be even more so with a little bit of the uh, the practice that goes into keeping your NMG runs alive. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have one final question, and then I'm going to uh, defer the rest of my time to my co-hosts for some of their questions. Um, I, I heard you mentioned, as you sort of got to a certain point with how good you were at Rando and your times there, that was when you sort of decided to take the dive and learn some NMG to, to you know get that extra time. Would you recommend sort of a similar path for other people, you know, waiting until they know a little bit more about Rando and then learning NMG? Or do you think it's better to learn NMG sooner rather than later to get those benefits? Um, it's a good question. Uh, from my experience, I, I got pretty decent. I wouldn't say great at Randomizer. I got pretty decent at Randomizer. And um, you, you, I guess to answer the question, I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it like this. It's always going to matter more how you routed randomizer um you just you can't execute your way to saving you know 15 minutes on on bad decisions or or orphaning chests or last locationing items so it's always going to come down to um uh, it's more often going to come down to your to your routing so if you don't know you know how to really route efficiently if, if you forget chests frequently if you're still struggling with the randomizer aspects of of improving your randomizer game you're probably not going to see too much impact from learning mg it's going to make you better at the game but it's not going to make you better at you know those randomizer specific um those randomizer specific time saves or or avoiding those time losses but i'd say if, if you feel like you've gotten that part of things pretty much down and you would like to i i think everybody has a point where they get the randomizer aspects down and and then you know, to kind of get competitive or maybe to win a big race, people feel like, you know, I've, I've got to kind of make the right decision here. i got to make a play. i got to make a skip. And those aren't always going to work out. When it works out, it's great. But if that's how you feel you need to, to play to win, you're going to have a lot of really frustrating times as well. So at that point, I think it's perfect if you've reached that kind of ceiling um, and you want to save some time without having to change how you're routing or to make big gambles when you're routing. Um, if you get better at the vanilla game, you're taking minutes and, and 
sometimes significant minutes off of your average times that can really enable you to win races where you didn't really do anything special routing. I've won randomized races, last locationing items, and, you know, full clearing pendant dungeons for no reason, and just because I can maybe play eight minutes faster in a seed than, than somebody else, I, I might come out on top without doing anything exceptional. And It actually even allows you, the better you get at the vanilla game, to be more conservative. You can just, you know, go out of your way to, to not get owned by a, a bad location of an item because hey i i'm just i'm fast at doing everything um that's not gonna happen overnight you got to put probably more time into the nmg run or the vanilla game than you would into rando but i i do think there's a threshold where you need to get the rando stuff down first because otherwise you're not going to see anything you're, there are there are some very 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 good vanilla runners you know nmg runners or, or other category runners who have tried to come over to randomizer and they struggle a bit because they don't know the rando stuff. Even if they can beat my NMG time, they they might not know the the randomizer specifics. They might not know where all the chests are. <laughs> you know, they may forget. Oh yeah, I can get to that item with the hook shot. Oops. Uh, you know, right. simple stuff like that. You need to get that stuff down before you're going to see any benefit from really running NMG. So uh, you've all heard it here from Wayne himself. If you want to save about eight minutes off your time, go ahead and learn that NMG route. So, oh my God. <laughs> so with that being said, Herb, Herb uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, you. You were saying you are not a fan of learning the NMG route, yeah. right? So, you don't like saving eight minutes? Yeah, okay. First of all, I want to say thank you to Tim for taking all my questions. The next time we're going to do a cross-examination, we're probably going to switch it up back and forth so Tim doesn't get all the good stuff and then I'm sitting here looking like an idiot. So, uh, but regardless... Uh, Go ahead. I wanna, Whenever you're ready. Yeah, I, I want to I wanna first clarify my position a little bit because just saying that Herf is against NMG or learning the NMG route is a little bit reductionist. I think Buane has already mentioned a couple of very, very important points that I also think are very crucial to, and it might seem very pedantic, but I think it's a very important distinction to make because a lot of the time when it comes to NMG in regards to Rando, a lot of people will tell you, yeah, absolutely, you must play NMG and you should totally learn everything and uh, it, it will help you greatly and it will improve your game, yada, yada, yada. But I think the two important points that Buane already mentioned is, first, I think it's important to realize that NMG is a very good framework for you to get better at the game. But if you really objectively think about it, everything that you can learn in, in NMG, you, it's not exclusive to NMG. You don't have to do NMG to learn that stuff. It just came out of NMG just naturally because NMG has been around for so long. So, of course, that's fair. it's going to be your framework for learning all that stuff and getting better at the stuff, but that's not inherent to NMG itself. That's just you getting better at Zelda with the help of all the work that the people running NMG long before Rando existed have already put into this 20, 25-year-old game. So, I think that's a very important distinction. And the second important distinction is... Uh, I, I very much agree with what Wayne said about first getting to a, th a certain threshold in Rando where you feel like, all right, I've understood the routing and everything else enough. So basically my point is you're, a lot of people will tell you to learn NMG before Rando or to play the vanilla game before Rando just so you know how the game plays. 
but I don't think that's really necessary. That's really what I'm talking about when I say I don't think learning the NMG route is necessary or is helpful to you. I'm talking mainly about when people are saying, yeah, you should totally play vanilla before you play random because it will help you greatly. If you've never played the game, then maybe, I guess, but even then, I think that's kind of doubtful. Because really, the most time saves you'll get in your rando career, especially at the beginning when you're starting out, is learning how to route efficiently, which places to go to, which places you can safely skip, you know, all the probabilities, all the other stuff that is exclusive to rando, but not exclusive to Zelda. Uh, Buen, I'm interested to know, how much improvisation is there when you're running NMG? Uh, I wouldn't call there... There's probably not much improv. Um, you, you learn that there are specific rooms um, that you really need to watch the RNG or the enemy movement very closely because you might come into a room and, and have eight different ways you need to know to get through that room safely or quickly or both. And, um, you know, so up, upon room entry, this would happen a lot, I think, in, in the early days of my NMG running, is I knew the game. I'd run a lot of rando at that point. So these were screens that I knew for the most part. And... One run, they'd go very smoothly, and I'd have no problem in that specific room. Like, let, let's use a let's use the mummy statue room in Skullwoods as a good example. Uh, you pull that statue down, you push it onto the switch, and you go up and you get that chest that's in the back in the middle of Skullwoods. That can be a room that goes very easily and and free, and that can be a room where you take nine hits and die, or get grabbed by the hand and sent back to the start of the of the dungeon. Um, that's the room I'm usually hanging out in. Yes. And, and so way. I would start, I would do some, some runs and they'd get to Skullwoods and, and that room could just end your run because it's like, wait, wait a minute, it went perfectly smooth the last time I did it. And it's because there's so many different oranges. Two, there's two mummies moving in that room. There's two jellies. They can do different things depending how, what direction the mummies move, depending how many tiles the mummies move. You need to be able to react um, accordingly to not get owned. <laughs> um so I, I wouldn't call it improv. I would call it kind of like a, a breadth of knowledge for specific rooms that have multiple ways you need to know how to do them in order to, you know, be prepared. Mm -hmm. I mean, that does sound, I mean, when just taking that last sentence that you said out of context, I mean, it, it is a lot like rando, you know, you need to have a couple different ways you could get through every room, but I'm sure it's probably a lot more rigid in the in the NMG. So so I want to touch on what Herf said. And by the way, so Herf obviously knows that NMG is is good to learn and is going to help you. It's just it's just a little more fun and interesting when there's a little bit of conflict <laughs> on the show. So I don't want everybody to think like Herf is a bad guy or anything. It's just he he's been saying kind of uh, you know exactly what he said. You know, I, and I agree with that. I don't think that you need to learn NMG just to play Rando. I think that's that's sort of ridiculous, but. Um, if there's people saying that, that that's that's sort of crazy. And, and Herf is absolutely correct that there is a lot that you do learn about the game by playing Rando. I mean, my first times when I played NMG were much better than they should be because I'd put time into Rando. And if I'd put, let's say, another year into Rando, I don't, you know, who knows what my initial NMG time would have been. I'm sure there are people who have never touched NMG, who have played Rando for two years and who are very, very good and who I lose to all the time. If they picked up NMG and did a few runs, they might have an excellent time already. So I don't think we have like a use case for played three years of rando and then tried NMG. It might be that somebody that that fictional person could already be at the level that they need to be in NMG to really get to that diminishing returns point. Uh, there's no reason you can't learn all of these things in rando. Um, and you do learn some of them. I just think 
uh, you'll learn them faster, <laughs> I guess is the Absolutely. point if, if you picked up NMG. I'll, I'll 100% immediately concede the point that, uh, as you said, the framework, I think that's a really good expression to, to make for this. The framework of NMG gives you a much more consistent you know, flow from start to finish where you know exactly. So it's much easier to practice specific things because, you know, you'll always have the same equipment. Things will always be in the same spot and you go through it the same way every time. Which obviously in Rando, you know, sometimes you fight a fighter sword Argus and sometimes you have a butter sword red male Argus with silver arrows and it's over before it even starts or something, you know? Yeah, in Rando, especially trying to get better, you you sometimes will watch, let's say, a VOD of your opponent in a race. Okay, they finished five minutes faster than me. Let's, let's see where I lost those five minutes. And you might want to find out something very simple, like how long did it take them to get through pod versus how long did it take me to get through pod? Except, well, wait a minute, I went to pod and I had the boots, and he didn't have the boots, but he had the mirror, so he didn't have to death warp. And there's not a lot of consistency you can even compare there versus you start playing an MG, you say, my pod time is, is 6.47, and this other player who's at my kind of level, their pod time is 6.37. I know for a fact I'm losing 10 seconds in pod. I need to figure that out. Hmm. That is that is a really good point when you can kind of do those comparisons. Um, Herf, do you have any sort of final questions or thoughts on this, and then we'll turn it over to Axe for some questions? No, not really. I, I would have a kind of a rando related question about something Wayne said in the very beginning, but that, that would be completely out of context now, so no. Well, now you have to ask. It's weird, <laughs> it's weird if you don't ask now. All right. Well, uh, he said, when you said somewhere in the beginning uh, something about, you know, when you finish a rando seat, you have a little bit of a cool down period where you're doing some sort of, you know, self-reflection and sometimes you figure out, okay, I could have done this better. Or you figure out, oh, I did this right, but, you know, it didn't work out this time. And I, I was just mainly curious about, do you sometimes have difficulty figuring out at the very end if you if something you did was bad or if it was good but it didn't work out this time i, I mean have, sometimes it's extremely obvious but sometimes i feel yeah. like i have no idea it is probably the hardest thing about rando is interpreting the feedback that you're getting correctly it is mm -hmm. very very easy to you know make a play and it doesn't work and therefore you say all right i'm not going to do that again and it's likewise very easy to say um, oh, in this seat, I should have done this, and therefore, next time I see this, I'm going to do that. Um, mm -hmm. you're, getting, you're getting negative feedback, and you're getting positive feedback from the game constantly, but there's a lot of noise in that feedback. It, you know, just because something worked this seed doesn't mean that's what you should do. Just because something didn't work this seed doesn't mean you should never do that again. It's very difficult to interpret that feedback correctly. And, and it, you know, if you're, nobody's going to ever be perfect at it. There's a, there, you have to constantly kind of be uh, aware of, all right, uh, I'll look out for this the next few seeds. Let's see how this feels in that particular situation. It's kind of nebulous, like um, how you need to store information, kind of vague almost, not, not very specific. Mm -hmm. There are some specific scenarios like, okay, if I have these three items and this is available, I should go do that. But those are usually pretty easy scenarios. Like, oh, I have the bow and I have the hammer. Let's go do pod because it's a crystal. Like, very simple decisions that, yes, that's pretty clearly going to be the right decision or a good decision most of the time. But so many other nebulous, confusing decisions. And, and interpreting the feedback is, is really a matter of um, sample size almost. You need to repeatedly, you need to be able to, 
to, to identify patterns better than individual seeds. You need to say, hey, this has really hurt me over 40 seeds now, so maybe I should change my approach. Um, and even then, you know, sample size, you might need to play 300 seeds before you can make an accurate um, determination on whether something is right or wrong. So it's, it's very difficult, and even the best players are, are constantly you know, challenging assumptions or, or things they thought were, were hard and fast rules. Uh, as an example, I used to never, ever go Hype Cave Pyramid Catfish. I used to prefer to go Hype Cave and West upon getting Dark World access, and only very recently. So this is 600, 700 rando seeds into my rando career. Only very recently have I started kind of considering, well, there are situations I think it does make sense to go north from Hype Cave and get Pyramid and Catfish because I might not ever have any opportunities to go back and do those and I'm tired of getting you know completely wrecked by a, an item in those locations um, and some of that is comparing like what's the what's the current meta are there more people who are going to those locations because they see an opportunity to to make up time so not only are you taking your own your own play feedback you're, you're taking the feedback of what other players you see you're doing and it, it's a constant battle, and you're constantly kind of adjusting sliders in your mind to say, okay, I need to turn this dial a little bit more towards the aggressive side, and I need to turn this dial a little bit more towards the conservative side. And Very difficult, but I think that's what makes it fun. Like, you just have this, this, this completely impossible puzzle to solve perfectly, and you're just you're trying to. You know you'll never get it perfectly, but it, it's a lot of fun, I think, that, that kind of analysis you know it can't be right, but you're you're going to try and solve it the best you can anyway. Yeah. So I've got a real quick question, and then and then I'll turn it over to Axe. How often do you practice, or is it all just through playing rando? I um so for practicing like the game itself, NMG style practice. You know the the, the practice hack that's out there for a link to the past is great. I don't know if you've uh, ever mentioned that on the podcast before. Or, you know, I don't throw, know if we have throw actually a link either. out there. It's it's wonderful Absolutely. tool. It's kind of revolutionized. I, I was not a member of this speedrun community before it existed, but um, the the excellent uh, poor little Pincus to, developed this practice hack for link to the past. That basically it comes preloaded with. Uh, over 100, probably maybe 200-ish save states that you can just load right in the game. So you can say, I want to go practice Vitreous. You can load straight to Vitreous. You can give yourself whatever loadout you want. Uh, if you've got a little bit extra hardware like an SD to SNES or you're running on Super NT, you can actually have an emulator-like save state and load state function that just lets you instantly practice the same room again and again and again and again or the same boss fight again and again. So it's a great way to get better at the game uh, on that kind of micro level. But as far as practicing rando, uh, it's really just I, I run races. I, I'll, I'll race the daily on speed gaming. I'll race uh, the weekly on the weekends that the community puts on, and, and it's th that's going to be your, your rando practice. There's, there's also a Z3 sim site, which is fantastic. Uh, if you've got some downtime, you're sitting around at work, you want to run through a, uh, a rando seed on, on, uh, on the web and just kind of, you know, I don't know, stay sharp or, or try something out or, or things like that, theorycraft some, some different routes and some different scenarios. There, there are a lot of practice mechanisms. I find it best when I have something to compare it to, though. So I really like to run races so that I know at the end this was better than anybody else by five minutes or this, you know, was a 10-minute loss or, you know, I, I like having my performance uh, graded, I guess, when I'm playing rando so that I know this was good and I can take some good things out of it or, hey, we need to get better. 
and fix up some of these things. Yeah. We love Z3R Sim. We, we've definitely talked about that. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe you can actually help with this, Wayne. The, the LTTP hack, the, the ROM hack that helps you practice, I, I don't know if that counts as a ROM ROM, if we can link to that, or if we have to be sort of careful about you know sending people to it. Uh, but I will just say, if you Google around for it, you can probably find it. We will link it if we can. If not, just uh, do some searching. Definitely something we recommend for rando and NMG practice. It's it's really awesome. So, um, Axe. Yes. Uh, let's, uh, let's have you back clean up here. <laughs> All right. So I've been, I've been listening to everything. And again, Blaine, really want to thank you for coming on because I think this is, you know, one of the things we try to impart to our listeners is, hey, what should I be working on if I'm trying to improve my rando game? Where are the most improvements possible? Should I be doing, you know, should I be practicing bomb jumps first or boss fights first or routing first or, you know, agafite or whatever? So I think getting your, your color and your context here from a NMG perspective is really helpful because that's not usually a perspective we've gone to to look at this. Um, one question I had, and this is sort of for the the whole, you know, link to the past speed running community in general. So we talked a little earlier about the top time being again one hour, twenty three minutes, and ten seconds. In terms of optimization, how optimized is that? Are we in a situation where we could see a sub one twenty three done by a human, or is that really kind of out of the realm and it's just going to be very small incremental improvements, you know, a second here, second there until uh, things are sort of tapped out? Uh, it's a great question. And it's one that um, a lot of the community has tried to answer uh, as best they can. There are, there are a couple versions of like a, um, a theory task. Certainly there's the, there's the task run of this game. And then there's the theoretical human level tasks um, run through of the game. That um, there's been a couple different versions by a, a couple different stalwarts in the community. I don't want to miss uh, credit anybody, so I'm I'm not gonna try and remember who have all contributed to them. But there there are runs out there that have been put together, spliced together manually to show here's what theoretically. A human could get running the game, and I, I think it's probably in the one twenty one range. Oh wow! Um, oh, that's a that's a big improvement. Yeah. So th I mean, this game is long. Number one, it, you know, you're mm -hmm. you're running this for over mm -hmm. an hour and twenty minutes. So there's there's a lot of game here, and there's a lot that can change, um, you know, subtly due to room RNG. You know, maybe it's only a couple frames here and there, but you know, when you're talking completely optimized time, you want the absolute best RNG possible. Right. That's not always going to be the case when you're running. And there's just things you're going to mess up. I, I mean, you're going to nudge a door and you're going to lose eight frames. You're, you're going to, you know, um, have to slash an enemy out of your way and you're going to lose 20 frames or, or, or things like that are just going to happen. It doesn't matter how well you're playing or how amazing. I, I would say that 122 is certainly possible. I, I think WQ's latest run proved that. He was on 122 pace until basically handing me the controller for the end of his world record run. Um, but uh, I, I don't think we're ever really going to see a human get down to the 121 levels. One thing that's worth mentioning is in this community, which, it, I mean, it's not the most popular of all speedrun communities. You know, we don't, we don't have the most 
we don't have the 30,000 members that let's say like Ocarina of Time does or, or something that's super active, Super Mario 64, but there's a good dedicated core community who've put years into learning this game. And there are two runners who still stand out well above everybody else. So this is really a two-man show when you talk about the elitist of elite players for this game in Zelda and WQ, just kind of so far ahead of everybody else. You know, to be, to be 30, 40 seconds ahead of anybody else's time in this just shows how much head and shoulders they are better than everybody else. Um, yeah. One of them yeah. at some point could probably put up a 122. I don't think... You know, uh, there are things that get discovered still in this game, too. I mean, if you rewind to, uh, you know, a year ago, maybe a little bit more than a year ago, is when the spooky glitch in Mire was first discovered, and, uh, you know, that took 10 to 15 seconds off everybody's time. And if, if things like that keep being discovered, and who's to say that they won't be, you could see the time fall even faster or, or even farther. Um, you know, you never know what secrets after, after 30 years in a video game can still be discovered. Yes, yeah, well, especially in the Zelda games, it feels yeah. like, you know, basically every year there's in some Zelda games some new glitch discovered that is a major, you know, groundbreaking glitch, whether it's, you know, Barrier Skip and Wind Waker or, like you're saying, Spooky Glitch and, and Link to the Past. So um, There was a new that, one for Skyward Sword, I think, that just shaved a bunch of time off, actually, I just saw. Yeah, so it, it's, it's always exciting to see that improvement. Um, I wanted to switch gears just a little bit and talk about the the rules of, of no major glitches just because there are some differences between that and the rules that are legal in randomizer and i wanted to ask uh some questions about that and the the big one that always sticks out in my mind i don't know if it sticks out in in yours or our audiences is that saving and quitting is not allowed and do you have any context for why that is and and why that was the decision made to to not allow that uh, I, I historically couldn't speak to why it's like that. Typically, um, you know, rules in categories are community-driven. And a lot of times with communities, it's kind of like, what have, what what were we doing first? So I'm sure when kind of the, the route became popular or if it was first even put together, they said, hey, let's, let's do no save and quits. I, I, I think um, from, and some of this might be wrong, but I'll, I'll, I'm 90% sure that the Master Sword run was was the main run uh, back in the day. People played Master Sword, which doesn't which does allow saving quits. And Could I, you explain I, what that means? Sure, just it, real quick. The Master Sword run is you just need to uh, it's it's no major glitches. Um, you can save and quit. You just need to pull the Master Sword as fast as you can. So you're going to get the three pendants, and you're going to go pull the Master Sword, and that's the end of the run. That hmm. that run does allow saving quits, and it may be as simple as hey people wanted a, a run that felt differently uh they they didn't want to save and quit they wanted you know a, a little bit more of the overworld so it's just it's really just a flavor it's it's not that anybody uh I, the joke the joke goes you know you know save and quit is a major glitch um <laughs> it, it's nothing like <laughs> that nice. but it, it's it's kind of just a flavoring thing and honestly the the overworld segments of this game of this run uh, are very difficult um so i, I think there is a value to having these overworld sections uh, elongated by the fact that you can't save and quit and it, it adds some challenge and it adds some um, kind of just one consistent flow to the entire run there are plenty of, of categories in this game and there are plenty of categories that allow save and quit um, you know I, I think it's probably just as simple as the the community 
when this run became popular, decided we're not going to save and quit. And kind of once that decision's been made, everybody else who runs the category, what are, what are they going to do? Make their own category that that's any percent save and quit that nobody ever runs. So it, it's it's kind of just a uh, conformity kind of thing, I guess. Once it's been established. Axel, do you have any other questions? Yeah, so I do. Um, so I'm all again. I'm I'm looking at the leaderboard. And I notice everybody's playing on SNES hardware. There's there's very few people on the the classic or on emulator. And, and why is that? Um. Well, number one, emulator traditionally was not as good as it is now. Um, if you were playing emulator a couple of years ago, you were playing on SNES 9X, and you were going to have to deal with the input lag that, that came along with that. And you're going to play on your, you know, your computer screen. And you're going to have to, you know, go with the the delay in your monitor display as well. Uh, nowadays, emulator gaming is very close, I would say, to console gaming. And a, and a couple people on that leaderboard have proven that. You've got Errer and Gerdo, both emulator players. Uh, Gerdo actually um, playing on the keyboard doesn't even use a controller. Shout out to wow. the boss Gerdo. A um, couple of emulator players who um, have really shown that the uh, the hardware you can use, the software you can use for emulators these days, is uh, light years beyond what it used to be. So I, I do think it's more of a viable option. You need to have the right emulator. Um, the the choice if you are a serious emulator gamer um, is no longer SNES 9X. Um, I'm a blanking completely on the name of the application that uh, oh retro 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 yes and there is some confusing setup and you kind of have to actually have a decently powerful computer to get the most out of it um it's not uh, a light piece of software and there's some kind of confusing configuration to it as as far as i've heard i've never configured it myself but if that is configured properly, you actually have a pretty good representation of, hey, this is almost like playing on console or close enough, near enough to not really make much of a difference in your performance. Um, as it is, though, that leaderboard is filled with people who've been running the game for years and years. So if they were running this game two years ago, emulator wasn't really a serious option. Um, so they probably procured some hardware, you know, got a, you know, have a, an SNES, an SD to SNES, and, you know, went through the whole thing to set that up maybe even you know crt monitors a lot of are very popular in speedrunning world um but recent advances in technology have i think made it very accessible to use an emulator like retroarch to achieve um you know there, there's nothing that using an emulator today like retroarch is going to prevent you from achieving it it's not like you're at a disadvantage i would say anymore yeah well you know that, that kind of covers uh, sort of the, I think, little intricacies that I wanted to get into. Uh, I just had one wrap-up question for you, and that is, uh, so let's say some of our, our listeners out there have, have heard this and said, yeah, you know, boy, I think you've got a good point here, and I want to try learning NMG. What would you recommend they start with? Where would they go? What should they start looking at? Um, honestly, the, the best way is probably to watch a full run of the route, um, to understand, number one, what you're doing, because it doesn't matter how much random you've played. If you, somebody asks you to run the NMG speedrun, you're, you're, you're not going to know what to do. You're not going to know the order of screens. You're not going to know the order of dungeons. It's, 
it's impossible to figure out yourself. So watch somebody else do it, you know, once or twice. Watch a playthrough to see just general what you're doing. You don't have to be learning room strategies or anything like that, but understanding where you're going. Maybe even write down notes like, okay, now I get the boots and I go to get the book and I go to desert, like something simple like that. Um, once you've kind of got that down, try a couple of runs, then there's just a world of options available to you. There, there's so many good resources today. The practice hack is wonderful that I already talked about. There's tutorials out there. Um, actually, a, a great community member, Fricker22, has been um, over the last couple months putting together kind of an, an updated tutorial set for any percent NMG. What happens in a community like this inevitably is your resources age and don't really get updated. So I, I think a lot of people out there probably learned the any percent run by watching a, a, a eight-year-old video <laughs> from Andy that's nine hours long and oh, wow. uh, so I, that is quite a video yes and and yes everything you need to know is in there but it's nine hours long um wow. and a lot of it probably is outdated because it was right. you know seven eight years ago i think that it was recorded mm-hmm. but it's always existed so i there's never there hasn't really been a concentrated effort to kind of replace it with anything top of the line so that's actually going on right now fricker has been working on a lot of tutorials geared at both brand new and intermediate runners who want to get something more out of specific segments or specific rooms. So there's a mix of both strats. There are great task runs. Um, like I said, there's the completely optimized human task version of the game, but there's also something called Noob Splice, which is a, a uh, kind of theory task version spliced together that is just all basic strats. So no advanced strats at all that shows you can basically get down to you know, a 125 time by doing nothing advanced whatsoever, just very, very vanilla strat, kind of uh, simple to learn kind of things. It just shows how you can optimize even just very basic stuff. Um, and then there's just watching other runners on Twitch uh, do their playthroughs. I think what helps best is to have, find or have somebody that can kind of go along with you. Um, mm-hmm. If you're starting out, you know, and you're going to put up a time of, let's say, 142 in your first run, if you've got a friend or a couple friends and you all get into it at the same time, there's there's some competition and some, some pushing each other that's going to happen. And you're also not going to feel so bad about, well, I'm 18 minutes behind world record. I guess I'm bad at this. Uh, everybody's going to start out there. But having somebody to kind of go along and, like, back and forth, hey, I improved 30 seconds, hey, I improved a minute, hey, you know, I, I, I got this really good time in this split. What's your time in this split? That goes such a long way towards keeping you motivated and, and making you feel like you're making real progress and you've got something to compare your progress to. So there, there's just there's so many resources, whether they're digital or, or you know, in the form of a, another person running it with you. Um, it's, it's a great community, and there's just so many options for, for getting into it and improving. Awesome. All right. Well, Buane, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. This has been extremely enlightening. Um, We are actually going to uh, check out some emails. Would you like to stick around for that? Absolutely. All right. Cool. Well, uh, again, thanks, Buane, for the info. Let's go do some emails. Okay. So uh, to start this off, I actually have to issue a correction and uh, mea culpa. So in the last episode, we had a really awesome question from 
TML that, that we addressed. Uh, there was a, a note at the beginning, a quest, uh, a way to think about pod that was really helpful, really cool. And then there was a puzzler about the location of the big key in Ganon's tower and the percentage of likelihood for each chest. Well, we actually had a uh, listener reach out to us in Discord, actually just in the general chat in Discord. The day that the episode released, uh, PRD Wong actually gets credit for this and said, wait, wait a second, what's what's going on with this puzzler? Something something doesn't seem quite right. So after uh, discussing it a bit with uh, PRD Wong, some others, and actually TML was in there as well, um, we were informed that uh, it doesn't work like that. So we need to issue this correction. <laughs> the way that the filler works, and this is on me, by the way, because I didn't share this with my co-host and I just read it on air. It, I should have gone and done a little bit more research before sharing this as if it was fact. So I, I take full credit and, and apologize for that. But here's how it actually works. The the way that the, lo- the logic filler works in Ganon's Tower and really in all dungeons is it puts the big key down first. So, and that's why we play the big key guessing game, because there's an exactly equal amount of percentage of every single chest having that big key. And then all the small keys and items and filler material go in after that to fill up the rest of the chest. So, um, the conceit of that question was which one has the highest probability? They're all equal, um, except for maybe like tiny little negligible amounts for small key logic that you shouldn't even really be considering anyway. But... Just had to issue that correction. I apologize uh, if you were, you know, sharing that info with your friends. You have to go back and, and oh. correct it now. So. Tim, you gave us a you gave us a trick question. I know. I, oh. and I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, I, so, I, yeah, I, I should that... be apologizing to you guys. <laughs> well, no, that's. I think that's a really good clarification, and uh, thank you for uh, for correcting us on the record. Yes, absolutely. Okay, and then uh, that conversation actually spawned uh, another email that we got a fetch question. Um, send it to us from Febreze Ninja, uh, and it, it's sort of related to that whole topic. So I'm just going to go ahead and read that now. Febreze Ninja says, hey again, Go Mode. There's something weird about the Thieves Town small key, and the reason can tell you something about Rando's inner workings. And then he apologizes for more percentages. Uh, he's apologizing to her for, for giving Good. us more percentages. Good. Herb hates those. Yeah. Uh, and then the email goes on. Uh, as you've gone over previously, the small key cannot be on the boss or in the attic for softlock reasons. This leaves six locations the key can be. What do you think the odds of the small key being in each chest are? It is not one in six. And then he has them here. I don't know if you guys want to guess or if I should just go ahead and read it. I'm not well, guessing. I, I, what, what do you think, Boyne? Boy, key logic in rando... <laughs> um, we're talking about Thieves Town, which is usually just you're doing it the same way every time. Uh, I, I would think that the least likely location for it to be is the big chest. Um, close. Oh, so <laughs> we tried. So here, here's here's how it breaks down. Uh, the front four chests each have a ten percent chance of having. Uh, sorry, I got lost. The small key, sorry. Uh, the, the front four chests each have a 10% chance, so that's 40% total that you're going to find it in those first four rooms. Blind Cell has a 30% chance, and the big chest has a 30% chance. It's like it's a total of 100. Why? Are you wondering why? Here's, here's the explanation. This is a result of how the randomization works currently. The list of all locations is randomized once, then the dungeon items are placed. The big key is placed first, so it goes down the location list until it finds a front chest. Then the small key is placed, and if the big key skipped over the big chest and or cell chest, then the small key will appear there. If not, it keeps looking. 
kind of like the Monty Hall problem. This is harder to notice in bigger dungeons, but is a basis of key logic in Misery Mire, Turtle Rock, and Ganon's Tower. Is this information useful? Well, it makes Thieves Town without Hammer slightly more attractive since it increases the chance of Big Chest having a dungeon item to 53%. And this might be the only really noticeable effect of dungeon item fill besides things like Turtle Rock key gambling. Rambling off, Febreze Ninja. So, Febreze, thanks so much for that email. Uh, what do you guys think? So, to summarize what I think we just heard is, let's say you dive into Thieves Town without the Hammer, and you open the first four chests and you don't find the small key, you should feel really good at that point that you will not have to come back and do a, uh, a double dip when you get the hammer. Is that, is that what I'm understanding? That's, that's sort of what I got out of it as well. Because it says, you know, how, how can we use this info? And it, it mentions, you know, the, the hammer thing. And that does make sense to me. I still hate going in there without a hammer for obvious reasons. But, um, you know, yeah, it's interesting. All right, <laughs> let's move on then. <laughs> so that is that is it for our fetch questions, and uh, we will go ahead and get this wrapped up. But first, I uh, want to, again, thank Buane so much for being here. Buane, how can people uh, watch you play Rando and NMG runs of A Link to the Past? Um, it's, uh, I'm on Twitch and basically nothing else. <laughs> so okay. you can watch on twitch.tv slash Buane. Um, if, I'm, if I'm on there, I'm probably doing something Link to the Past related. And, uh, yeah, if you just want to hang out, watch some in. I've been playing some more, a little bit more, getting back into NMG a little bit the last couple of weeks. Uh, but lots of rando uh, hangout, and, you know, we try to learn a little bit. I learned a little bit about uh, Thieves Town Key Logic right here. So as, if, if you can learn something every day, you know, you'll be a little bit better. So. But, you uh, yeah, like you, you guys. Thanks, thanks so <laughs> oh, much man. for having me. This is you, you guys have a really great uh, thing going on here. It's it's really valuable, and the community uh, I think needs something like this. Helps get new players in. Uh, helps teach you know older players a little bit more, and just keeps everybody connected. So what you guys have, are doing here is is uh, is really really great, and I'm really honored to be a part of it in this small way here. Oh, well, thank you. We're, oh, we're honored to have you be a part of it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's an honor fest, all around honor for everybody. <laughs> Yay, honor! Cool. All right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wrap up real quick for us. Um, so uh, you can find me at Tim uh, uh, Twitch.tv slash Tim underscore Axial. You can find at Twitch.tv slash Axial underscore SA or SA underscore Axial. Sorry, I can't yep. believe I got that wrong. <laughs> uh, and Herpy Derpy, you can find at Twitch.tv slash Herpy Derpy. Um, you can join our Go Mode Podcast Discord. We've been doing a lot of talking about the tournament, so if that's your sort of thing, you should definitely join us. We'll put a link to that in the description. We're on Twitter at Go Mode Podcast. Uh, you can email us, fetch questions, email at gomodepodcast.com. Um, website, gomodepodcast.com. I think that's pretty much it, right? Is that everything? Play Cadence so. of Hyrule. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's Hyrule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to play that one. That looks pretty sweet. Um, Cool. Okay. Well, that is going to do it for us. Uh, on behalf of our guest and my co-host, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Time to mirror out. Bye.